You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this, you'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, we've all failed, but few of us have failed on the level it takes to be inducted into the Failure Museum, a.k.a. the Failure Hall of Fame. We'll explore Although the vast majority of lost airline luggage is eventually reunited with the original owner, there are still thousands of lost suitcases that pile up every year without a home. So what eventually happens to all this long-lost luggage? When you're there, you're family. But how much free stuff should family come to expect? We're talking Olive Garden and the cost of free breadsticks. All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. Jay, it's become a popular catchphrase in the tech world and throughout Silicon Valley, fail fast, meaning in part that failure is ultimately the path to success. We have to know what doesn't work before we can figure out what does, right? But let's be honest, man. I mean, none of us want to fail. It may be part of life, but we avoid it at all costs. So, Jay, when is a time that you perhaps fail? Well, I, I do believe that getting somewhere does require a lot of failure. Um, and the best example that I can think of, at least the most recent one, was whenever I was deciding to redo a bathroom in my house about three years ago, which is something I've never done before. Um, I'm not exactly like super home project guy. Um, you know, I don't, don't really have like a lot of knowledge about construction and plumbing and everything like that. There was a lot of failure involved um, to the tune of uh, eventually having to uh, get my brother-in-law involved, who was extremely helpful. But also it ended up taking, I think it took over a year by the time I was done. So it was just like just stuff sitting in my bedroom leading into the bathroom for a year, like big boxes and tools and dust and everything. I mean... And I think like for a lot of people, they resonate with that, like these home projects that you think are going to take, well, let's take two, three weeks and ends up taking multiple months or in my case, even over a year <laughs> before, before we finally got it done. But I'll let you know on a secret behind like every picture in my house is a hole that shouldn't be there <laughs> because I failed in, in trying to put it up. But for me, I mean, yeah, seriously, there's just so many failures. I like where to even start, but I'll tell you a really good one. Okay. A good one is when I was in college, this is one of those, uh, one thing leads to another type situations. Okay. So my cool broadcast journalism friends and I, so think of us as the people who wanted to be in a career where we were in front of the camera. Okay. So we think we're cool. Well, we found ourselves in a scenario where we were challenging the dorky students. Okay. From the production side of journalism. So these are the people who don't want to be in front of the camera. So you just think that they're dorky. So we challenged them somehow to a match. Uh, a, a game of ultimate frisbee. If you haven't played ultimate <laughs> frisbee before, so think of it as kind of a combination of football and frisbee, where you have to work together as a team to get a frisbee into your end zone more than the other team. Okay, so basically, we thought we were athletic and cool, and they were not athletic and not cool, and we were going to destroy them. So, Jay, we were super cocky. Okay, and that's kind of an understatement to say we were super cocky. We made jerseys, we had walkout music. We wore matching headbands. I mean, we were just trying to embarrass them from the get-go. None of this is surprising at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Not a single they, they, thing that you're saying is surprising <laughs> to me. 
they just showed up in like jeans and whatever shirt they put on that day. Okay. So I'll just go ahead and jump to the end. We didn't score. They beat us so badly. I, I don't think I've ever been beaten at anything the way that they, they beat us like a drum, as they say. You just needed humbled just, a little bit. Oh, humbling. Just <laughs> terrible. But, Jay, while a failure like that is embarrassing, and actually kind of still is, it doesn't quite rise to the level of Hall of Fame worthy. Because if it did, it very well could have found its way into the Museum of Failure, a traveling exhibit developed by clinical psychologist Samuel West that highlights and celebrates some of history's greatest flops. We need to accept failure if we want to progress, Dr. West told USA Today. And, Jay, the museum tells that very story. The museum doesn't spend much time worrying about failures at Ultimate Frisbee or from a former mom-and-pop store that went wrong. Many of the displays feature products from well-known national brands, companies like ESPN, Facebook, and Levi Jeans. The theme, Jay, becomes apparent very quickly. These companies have achieved great things, but they are not immune to failure. In fact, it may have been the secret sauce that led them to work of renowned success. In his work as a clinical psychologist, West arrived at the idea for the museum by studying anxiety in patients. The fear of failure is an anxiety that comes from anticipation, he says. The museum's exhibits are meant to present the idea that failing isn't always as bad as you imagine, and it might even be essential to success later on. Society looks up to the innovator, he says, but has very little tolerance for failure. But Jay, some examples of what you'd see in the museum, you're going to love these. There's the hula chair. A chair that promised to give you a workout while you're sitting down. All the chair did, though, was awkwardly (laughs) swing you in circles. Then there's the Trump steak, an inedible steak from the Donald Trump brand. Huge, expensive, impossible to cut. Next is Bic for Her, a pen from the popular pen company Bic that was designed for just a woman's hand. Needless to say, that was a PR nightmare. One review said, oh, how kind, Bic. Make sure that it's uh, easier for us women to take notes or make grocery lists. (laughs) (laughs) Oreos is represented with its soda-flavored Oreos. Jay, a failure so widespread that it has its own wall of shame in the museum. New Coke, the DeLorean, the Taco Phone, fat-free Pringles that gave you diarrhea, the Google Glasses. Jay, the list goes on and on of failures that you'd see in the museum. But perhaps my favorite failure comes to us from Gerber, you know, the baby food company. Well, in the mid-1970s, Gerber decided to try and make food for adults called Gerber Singles <laughs> that, yes, came in the baby food type glass container. Sounds like a, like a satire headline, <laughs> like the onion. <laughs> this was the, this was the uh, marketing tagline. We were good for you then. And we're good for you now. <laughs> That's just so shocking, though. I mean, who wouldn't want pureed pizza or sweet and sour pork available to them at any time, Jay? I can't believe it failed. I found myself the other day, you know, those little pouches that you hand to kids that have applesauce in them and you twist yeah. the top off. and You, <laughs> you tried one? I, well, no, no, it's even worse. Like, I found myself standing at the counter and I was, like, making the kids lunch and I had one in my hand. And some sometime while I was doing the lunch, it just, like, unconsciously uh, started eating it like i just opened it and was just eating it like a baby (laughs) and uh just sat there and just consumed the whole thing and i was like i just ate basically baby food (laughs) so i don't know maybe the gerber thing wasn't such a bad idea
So Dave, the travel season is uh, ending in one sense with Thanksgiving being over, but it's beginning here in a few weeks in another sense with Christmas getting ready to start. And I know we've talked on this show before about traveling by air and some of the positive experiences we've had. But have you ever had any negative experiences while flying? Well, I mean, I've had just kind of the normal ones like flight delays and those kinds of things. But one of my fears, like a deep-seated fear every time I'm going to travel is that my luggage will be lost. Like you just have that, like, if I check this bag, I'm never seeing it again. I know. It. I'm just not going to do it. I'm not going to check it. Well, that actually happened recently to my dad. So, like, my nightmare he had to experience. He was coming back from international travel, and they unexpectedly, like, made him check his bag at, on the way back. Like, he didn't have to check it on the way there. We had to check it on the way back. And he just kind of knew, like, I'm not seeing this again. And you know what? They have no trace of it. He hasn't seen it. You know, this is the perfect segment for your dad then because I'm about to tell him where he can find his stuff if he, uh, if he wants to go find it. Uh, unfortunately though, it's going to cost him, uh, if, uh, if he can locate it. So Dave, last week during the Thanksgiving holiday season, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 million people flew on an airplane in the United States. And even though an estimated 99.5% of all suitcases do not get lost, that 0.5% actually does add up to quite a lot of stuff. And while an airline will work for three months to try to return a lost suitcase to its owner, eventually reimbursing the owner up to $3,800 if they cannot, there inevitably will be quite a few that never get matched to an owner and pile up. So what happens to all this unclaimed luggage and all the contents inside Well, Dave, every suitcase lost by an airline in the United States of America ends up in a city 150 miles northwest of Atlanta called Scottsboro in a 50,000 square foot building called Unclaimed Baggage, where all the contents are discounted and sold. The building is laid out like a department store with sections for clothes, books, electronics, even jewelry. In fact, Dave, in the electronics section, a buyer can find laptops, iPads, phones, and gaming consoles that have been wiped clean and then discounted for about half the price of a new one, all left on a plane at some point and never matched to its owner. Unclaimed baggage CEO Brian Owen's father started the business back in 1970 after he realized that he could buy unwanted luggage from the airline that the airline desperately wanted to get rid of and then resell the contents for a profit and the idea was born, according to NPR. And Dave, today, unclaimed baggage isn't just a store. It's a full-fledged tourist destination. In fact, a million people each year visit. And the store collects everything from the mundane to the downright weird. Everything from skis, skateboards, an entire guidance system for a fighter jet that was in an unclaimed shipping container, which they did give back to the (laughs) Navy, by the way. Well, how nice of them. Wow. A live rattlesnake, even real human shrunken heads. Plus, Dave, a suspected Stradivarius violin, a handful of ancient Egyptian artifacts, a puppet from the movie Labyrinth, and an entire suit of armor. Several of these more rare items have been put into a museum within the store. And while a store like this could inevitably be compared to something like Goodwill, what makes this more impressive is that while Goodwill is full of items people did not want, Unclaimed baggage is full of items people did want. They just lost. 
In an interview with NPR, CEO Brian Owens said, It's really like an archaeological dig. You open a bag and you can know what kind of fashions people were wearing, even things like cosmetics or technology, things that they're carrying with them. It really is a cross-section of what's going on in America and really across the world because the airlines are global. And yes, Dave, in case you're wondering, Unclaimed Baggage does have an exclusive purchasing agreement with all airlines in America. So the industry that they created runs entirely through this unique business. That's amazing. And for some reason, it makes me think of this bike situation. Uh, So apparently bikes get stolen a lot. Okay, I've so had people lose every bike I've ever owned has been stolen. <laughs> so you can uh, you can concur that happens, and so when the police department eventually gets the bikes back, they have a hard time finding the owner of the bike because I mean the bike could be in a different city. It could be, who knows where they got the bike from, and it's not going to have your name on it most of the time. So they'll just take it back to like the police station and wait for a period of time to see if somebody will come claim it. And if if nobody does, then they'll donate it or do something with the bike. And so I used to work at a university where we were trying to work with the local police station to get those bikes that had been stolen donated to the university so students could ride them around campus. Like, it was a really cool, like, win-win situation. But it ended up, like, not exactly going like we thought it would because a lot of these stolen bikes were, like, really nice specialty bikes. Like, the kind of bike that you have to have special shoes to ride. (laughs) And so (laughs) so the students couldn't ride them. Like, they'd get these, these bikes would be, like, Instead of like a $300 bike, this was like a $3,000 bike. And so you just have to either glide on it or just like look at it. You couldn't even (laughs) ride it. (laughs) And finally, Jay, uh, you and I are like the perfect definition of millennials in my mind. Okay. Like age-wise, experience-wise, I just feel like we really do define what it means to be a millennial. Like, as we've referenced many times on the show, I used to be the assistant manager of a blockbuster video. That's very millennial. We both remember a time before the internet. We used to download songs on Napster. We're obsessed with talking about Beanie Babies. I mean, the list goes on and on. (laughs) But a defining characteristic, Jay, of us millennials is that we do not really go to chain restaurants much anymore. Like, I mean, just ask the Applebee's that closed in my hometown, okay? It's a major generational shift. Places that our parents went and still like to go, we don't often go to. So when's the last time you actually went to a chain restaurant? It's been a really long time because I always get the idea that it will be a good idea at some point. Like, the idea has to brew for about a year, you know? Like, it has to just keep, (laughs) it's in the oven, it's low temperature, you know, it's just slowly cooking but eventually it comes to fruition and you're like i really want to go to texas roadhouse or something you know like i don't know like something just pops into your head and you're like i think this would be a fantastic idea well then you go and then you're quickly reminded like all right well this is going to cost me like 70 (laughs) dollars and it's like going to be frustrating probably and uh, and you're going to leave not super satisfied To, to be honest i can't remember the last time i went it was probably it's usually with family or something you know but uh, uh, you know, the idea is cooking again. I mean, here in a few months, I'll I'll try to go to Applebee's or something. Like, we'll see. We're planting the seed <laughs> now. Yeah. But, but honestly, while I don't go to chain restaurants, uh, I really don't have anything against a lot of them, like Cracker Barrel. Man, oh, give yeah, me some Cracker sure Barrel breakfast any day of the week. Oh, my gosh. Plus, I could shop for a rocking chair while I'm there. <laughs> you can't beat that. Another chain, though, Jay, uh, that I like is a place that I haven't been to in years. But if you asked me to go there for dinner tonight, 
hint, hint, I would enthusiastically say yes. <laughs> this place, Olive Garden. Now, there's a lot of reasons I like Olive Garden, but among the most obvious would have to be the famous unlimited salad and breadsticks deal that Olive Garden has become known for. I mean, when you're there, you're family, right? But Jay, not too long ago, the unlimited breadsticks nearly became a cost-cutting casualty. Famous for its consistency, salad dressing, and overwhelming portion in the Tour of Italy dinner option, Olive Garden has been serving up Italian-American cuisine since 1982, launching its first location in Orlando, Florida. With now over a 1,000 locations nationwide, Olive Garden accounts for nearly half of the revenue its parent company, Darden, brings in every year at nearly $5 billion per year in gross sales. But Jay, aside from all the other highlights, it's the promise of unlimited breadsticks and salad refills that most consumers expect from their visit. But like most businesses, and especially chain restaurants with the decline in millennial visits, Olive Garden is always looking for ways to potentially cut costs. And in 2014, investors started to kick around the idea of limiting the unlimited. In a 300-page document... (laughs) that went through investor concerns and the perceived failings of Olive Garden, an entire section was dedicated to conversation around the breadstick policy. Investors argued, to quote reporting from Mental Floss, Olive Garden's reckless generosity has become bad for business. Even presenting research that suggested that quantity aside, the breadsticks were shown to significantly deteriorate in quality after sitting on your table for just seven minutes. I completely agree with that, though. Like, the the second they come to your table, they're so much different than five minutes later. Like, I, I'm okay, totally well, on board with that. Maybe you were one of those <laughs> investors. But thankfully, Jay, catastrophe was avoided. The back and forth led to a revised breadstick policy, though, meaning that if you go to Olive Garden today, you'll receive a breadstick for each person in your party plus one, which they call the conversation starter stick, and no refills unless you explicitly ask your server. The breadsticks were threatened again in 2020 when COVID hit, and unlimited bread was discontinued for a time until it came back with the full reopening of each location. But Jay, buried in the new policy is something else to take note of. Free breadsticks will be denied to you if a server catches you stuffing breadsticks into your purse or, in your case, into your cargo shorts pockets. So consider yourself warned. This reminds me, have you seen the trend that is on social media of people buying things from Olive Garden? No. Like chairs? (laughs) well, so the it started because somebody, I think it was on TikTok or something, somebody went in and asked if they could buy one of the cheese graters that they use on your pasta, where they say, say when, and they just keep grinding the cheese. And somebody at Olive Garden went and asked their manager, and they were like, well, yeah, they can buy them if they want. I mean, we have a bunch here. So they sold them to them. Well, then they posted that, and then all these people started showing up and buying the cheese graters. So now Olive Garden is like, trying to frantically sell these cheese graters. Now you can buy them online from Olive Garden, but they limit you to like 10 because so many people are buying them. (laughs) Well, then that started a wider trend of people just seeing what they could buy from Olive Garden. Like, can I buy this glass? Can I buy the coffee in the back? Can I buy that painting? You know, whatever. And uh, basically, Olive Garden's statement is that they will sell anything that, quote, isn't nailed down. So (laughs) you can uh, essentially, if you want to take a piece of uh, the Italian experience home, I guess you're more than welcome to if you've got the got the money. Piece of Italy. Hey, if we're all family, 
Did we kind of own it anyway? Right, exactly. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, X, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutethepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons. For Jay Sisson, I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. I wish you had like a failed wedding proposal or something that <laughs> you, you wish that I had like <laughs> worse failures. <laughs> I saw a video the other day of a guy who proposed to somebody on a like a Zeppelin. So he was in a hot air balloon, which is just and the then worst. he was stuck because so she said no. And she and she said no. So they're trapped up in the air on this hot air balloon and he's just holding the ring. And she's just staring at him. <laughs> you got to come all the way down with that thing. Is there anything worse? I mean, that's got to be the worst. Rejected on an engagement proposal, a marriage proposal, in a hot air balloon. That's the worst.